Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. I'd like to introduce Tony Cook to you now, and uh, we've known Tony for a long time. And uh, I'm just reading a little, this is right from his website on his bio. Uh, Bible teacher and author Tony Cook graduated from Rama Bible Training Center in 1980, and he received also received degrees from North Central University, a bachelor's in church ministries, and at Liberty University, he has a master's in theological studies and church history. His ministerial background includes pastoral ministry, teaching in Bible schools, and directing a denomination. So that's uh, what he's done and that's just a little clip. He's done a lot more, but we don't have time to go through everything he's done. But I asked Tony a while back, I, I knew he wrote a new book and he's going to talk about his new book. And because of his diligent studies, he wrote a book on the supernatural and the history of the supernatural. It's about that thick. He'll let you know where you can get it and everything. But I asked him if he would do minister. Uh, by, and, and, you know, I just thought, you know, we're not going to let this lockdown hinder us from this. So he did two videos, part one, 8.30, part two will be at 10. You're welcome to stay for the 10 o'clock for part two, but you can go watch it online and you can watch them over and over again after you leave too. Uh, but um, t- two part on the supernatural, he's going to get into uh, even his personal testimony. I've already watched him. I was so blessed and I get to watch him again. And uh, he- he's going to talk about some things that are really relevant and important uh, concerning the supernatural. So with that said, um, you guys uh, turn it over to our production team. Hello, this is Tony Cook. I want to greet everyone at Rama Family Church and especially want to say hello and thank you to Pastor Tony and Patsy. Uh, for you as the church, I have had the privilege of knowing them since probably the fairly early 80s. And uh, I just want you to know uh, how much I respect and love them. Uh, They are so well and highly respected uh, by many, many ministers, their their peers, their colleagues. And uh, I just feel you're very, very fortunate to have such great leaders uh, at your church. Uh, My name is Tony Cook, and I had the privilege of Uh, being on staff with both Pastor Tony and Patsy for several years. I spent 18 and a half years on staff at the Bible College there. And since 2002, uh, my wife and I have been traveling full-time. We've had the privilege of preaching in 31 nations and 47 states here in the United States. Uh, But today, I am so thrilled to be with you and Uh, I spoke with Pastor Tony about the topic and um, just uh, so excited. I'm going to be sharing with you really from uh, what we have in a book called Miracles and the Supernatural Throughout Church History. And this is a book I wrote just a few years ago. I've had the privilege to write about a dozen books. And uh, I want to talk to you about the supernatural elements of Christianity And I I share this from my kind of personal background. I was not raised in what you call a Pentecostal or charismatic or spirit-filled type of church. I was raised in a, what I would call a traditional, ritualistic, uh, mainline type of denomination. And uh, I'll be honest with you, for the first 18 years of my life, I was a pretty nominal Christian. I had been uh, invited as about a 14-year-old to go to another youth uh, retreat at another church that really emphasized more having a personal relationship with God. Um, And and I had an experience there. Um, I heard the gospel preached, uh, how that, you know, God loved me and and yet he wanted to have a relationship with me and that I needed to be born again. I needed to be forgiven. And not just in my other background, and I I don't want to sound critical, uh, but in my other background, it was really just a matter of try to be a good person, 
of course you believe in God, but I always just had the idea that, you know, if you are a good church member and you keep the rituals and you say the right things, you know, in the different creeds and all that type of thing, uh, that you just try to be a good person and hopefully you're good enough uh, to go to heaven when you die. And so uh, when I went to this other church and, you know, was really confronted with the idea of, you know, kind of, you're not going to be good enough to go to heaven. You need to be forgiven. Uh, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And so I embraced that and accepted that and went forward to the front of the church or the chapel where we're having that meeting and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I believe at that point that he did. Um, but as I was going into what we call high school, secondary school, I don't know what you call it there, um, I, I really didn't have much beyond kind of an intellectual. That's kind of what I was raised with, was that Christianity was um, kind of a set of intellectual propositions that you accept, and there was really never a lot of delineation about what you just believe in your head versus what you believe in your heart. There was never really uh, much emphasis at all put on experience. And and I want to be very clear. I don't think that anything should be, uh, you know, foundational relative to experience. Um, I think what is foundational in our life, spiritually speaking, is the reality of who God is and the Bible. Um, and yet my experience up until uh, later, I'll get into that, was it was really an intellectual acknowledgement of certain beliefs, but it was not something that was really transformative in my life. It wasn't really deeply impacting in my life. So Christianity, for the first really 18 years of my life, even though I had that one experience when I was 14, uh, was pretty much intellectual, um, uh, traditional, ritual, um, uh, kind of ethical, moral. All those things are good, and all those things are a part, can be a part of the overall package, but there was still something that was profoundly missing in my life. Right after I graduated at the age of 18 from, again, what I call high school or secondary school, uh, a friend invited me to a meeting, and I, I kind of did everything I could to not go to that meeting, and uh, I ended up just kind of going because he ended up just, you know, kind of continued to ask me again and again. And what I experienced that night uh, was, was going to totally change my life. Now, that was when I was 18 years of age. Today, I'm 62 years of age. And so that's uh, 42 years ago, I guess. I, that, forgive me, I'm not good at math. Um, so our 44 years ago, I guess. So anyway, uh, I went with this meeting to my friend, and this was totally different than the formal, uh, ritualistic uh, type of church service that I was familiar with, was raised in, where everything was hyper-predictable. Um, to make a long story short, uh, this... Um, in this meeting, I saw people, they were doing things that I had never seen in my church. People, for one thing, people seemed happy. Uh, people seemed to be emotionally engaged. And I don't mean they were hyper emotional, but it just their heart was engaged in what they were doing. And, and they were doing something I'd not seen in my church. They were lifting their hands in praise and worship to heaven. Uh, worship, and it seems so personal and sincere and meaningful to them. 
And I really found that refreshing because in my experience, it was just kind of going through the motions and just singing whatever was on the pages, but it didn't necessarily connect at the heart level. And this is very meaningful. So again, uh, the gentleman who was leading that meeting uh, asked at a certain point, he said, I, I want everyone in this auditorium who has pain in their back to stand up. And so I had pain in my back. I was just young, 18 years of age, but I was a, I was a competitive tennis player when I was young and had injured my back, the lower right back, uh, lower part of my back. And um, I, it, it didn't keep me from playing tennis. It didn't keep me from doing anything. It was just painful. It was, it was kind of a nagging, persistent type of pain. And especially when I moved a certain way, I would have real intense pain shoot down the backside of my right leg and so it's just, it, it, it wasn't debilitating, but it sure it made life not as fun as it could have been. And so he said, everybody with pain in your back, stand up. I stood up. Um, he walked out through the auditorium. And just so the date was June the 9th, 1977. And uh, I'll never forget that night. And I, he came to me and he said, young man, I want you to come forward. And I was one of about five people that he selected to come down to the front of the auditorium. And he prayed for me. And uh, he put his, it was like just like a finger or two on my forehead. And it was so gentle. He didn't push. If, if anything had happened where you know, he's pushing me or, I, you know, I would have been turned off. I would have thought, well, this is fake. Um, but his, his, his fingers just lightly touched my forehead and he began to pray. And I remember part of how he prayed was in this, I didn't know what it was, but it was a different language. It was not the English language, uh, but it was beautiful. And as he prayed, I felt um, physically, tangibly experienced. It was like a gentle, warm wonderful electricity. Now, I've been shocked before, and when electricity comes, it's not pleasant, it's painful. But this was like electricity, but instead of it being painful, it was very pleasant, and it just went all through my body. And uh, uh, I, I, I fell under, you know, this influence, this power, and it was, you know, kind of overcame my natural uh, constitution and and I fell to the ground and uh, you know I kind of came to a few minutes later it was it was just a heavenly pleasant experience it wasn't negative in any way shape or form but when I kind of came to he said young man stand up and he said touch the ground well he did not know this man was from not from our city and and what he did not know was that for about two years, if I bent down and, you know, keeping my legs straight, if I got to my hand about to my kneecap, I would start having a real shooting pain go through my lower back and down the right leg. But after I received prayer, I put both palms on the floor and no pain. And this is this is my personal experience, and 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 I knew that God had healed me, and what was so um, impacting to me is that I had grown up in a church where we respected the Bible, uh, we believed in God, we believed in the Ten Commandments, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, we recited the Apostles' Creed, and all that, you know, uh, and, and all that I, I respected, um, but we had never made a connection between the miracles that happened in the Bible, you know, especially those in the time of Jesus and the book of Acts. We had never made a connection between what happened in the past to what God might be able to do, desire to do in the present. And as that young man growing up in that church, if you had asked me the question, Tony, uh, does can God do miracles? 
can God heal people today? You know, I probably never really thought about it a lot, but I do remember thinking about it just a little bit as a young person, and nobody had ever told me that God can't do miracles or that God doesn't do miracles. It was just something we never talked about in our church. It was never, ever discussed. And so I just assumed that God did not do those things anymore. I would have said, well, he could, but for whatever reason, he just doesn't because I'd never heard of it happening. And again, my Christianity up to that point was very, it was cerebral, intellectual, um, uh, you know, uh, ethical, moral, uh, you know, be good, keep, you know, keep the commandments, you know, things like that. There was never really an emphasis, you know, in the Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good, which implies, you know, kind of an experiential element. So that night, I mean, I was so impressed that God healed my back. It was, it was instantaneous. Uh, to me, it was undeniable that there had been a supernatural intervention in my life. And all of a sudden I thought, wow, all these things I've heard about in the Bible, maybe God still does these things today. And so my friend took me to his house afterwards. He was just a year older than me and he had his girlfriend, later became his wife. And his mother, you know, was there as well. And on the way there, he said, Tony, he asked me a question that I did not know how to answer. He said, Tony, did you receive the Holy Spirit tonight? And, you know, I, I just said, well, you know, I, I don't know what that means. I said, you know, in my church, we talk about the Holy Spirit every week. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, you know, one of the statements we say is, and I believe in the Holy Ghost. And we sang, if you grew up in a traditional church, maybe you did too, we sang the doxology before we left every Sunday dismissal. Um, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So I'd heard about the Holy Spirit probably every Sunday of my life growing up in church. But he asked me this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit tonight? And so all of a sudden, it went from being this theological, conceptual type of thing. All of a sudden, it became a personal uh, issue. And I said to him, I said, well, John, is the Holy Spirit, was he the one? Was that him? Was that his power? that I tangibly felt in my body? Was he the one that was healing me tonight? And he basically said, yes, that was the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, if there's more to him than I've ever had in my life, I want him. Because to me, that was, you know, the most wonderful experience of my life. But I said, but I really don't understand what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. So my friend took me through the book of Acts, and he showed me in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, where in the early church, uh, after people were saved, they would have a, a, a subsequent experience where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in so many of those cases, uh, in some of the cases, it directly states they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. In other cases, it may not state it exactly, but it's implied because we know, for example, with Paul in Acts chapter 9, that... Um, uh, you know, he had hands laid on him so that he would receive the Holy Spirit. But later, Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So whether it directly states it in the book of Acts or whether it's implied by putting other pieces of the puzzle together, uh, we pretty clearly understand that speaking in tongues was 
pretty closely connected with this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And and uh, we're not saying that, that uh, Christians don't have the Holy Spirit within them when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we couldn't even be born again. So I believe that every, and I believe the Bible teaches this, that every believer has the Spirit within. But what I was being introduced to that night was the Holy Spirit coming upon and especially imparting power. So that was kind of my experience. Uh, that was something that happened to me when I was 18 years of age. And it, it just revolutionized my life. It, all of a sudden, the Bible began to make sense. I had never, I'd tried to read the Bible a little bit, I, and I didn't put tons of effort into it. But all of a sudden, I opened the Bible that very night, and oh, it was like, who, who, who changed all these words? These are meaningful now. These are giving me life. These are, you know, providing insight and, and understanding. And it was just like the Bible became alive uh, from that night forward. I was just sharing my experience. And so um, that began for me in 1977, a journey that has carried me until this time and uh, ended up going to Bible school, uh, ended up, um, you know, stepping into ministry. And uh, so I want to address to you tonight, or this morning, whenever, what time of day you're listening, I want to talk with you about the idea of the miracles and the gifts of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are described in, in uh, um 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and throughout the book of Acts, do these gifts of the Spirit, did they stop in church history or have they continued? Obviously, I'm telling you that I've experienced them in this modern era, so obviously I believe these things still continue, but but what does history state? What, what does the Bible communicate about these things. And I want you to, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look in Mark chapter 16, because this is part, what we're going to read to you right now is part of what we call the Great Commission. And um, Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, nothing should be more precious to us than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the word gospel means good news. And what is the good news? What is the message? And it's, it's in essence this. We were lost in sin. The Bible says everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. But because God loved us so much, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus lived a sinless life, and he uh, ultimately went to the cross as a criminal, even though he was sinless. He went to the cross as our substitute. He was treated like a criminal. He went to the cross as our substitute, and there our sins were placed upon him. He bore the penalty and the punishment that our sins deserved. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin, and he died in our place. And three days later, he was raised from the dead, and he had conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he rose victorious, and he's alive forever as the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And, and he said that whoever believes on him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And that was the message that the earliest Christians, the earliest disciples, the apostles, the evangelists, the ones that, you know, went out sharing that message, that was the gospel, that was the good news. And, and Paul said, uh, Jesus said rather, uh, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, 
but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then Jesus made a fascinating statement. He said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, uh, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they, meaning his followers, his disciples, uh, they went out and preached everywhere. Notice this, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Well, what signs are they? Well, among other things, it's casting out demons and speaking with new tongues and laying hands on the sick for people to be healed and to recover. And so when we study the Bible, when we go into, for example, Romans chapter 12, uh, there's a listing of, of gifts and graces and such things as teaching and prophesying and exhortation and things like that. When we uh, go into um, the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, there's a list of these other gifts and operations and workings of the Holy Spirit, which include gifts of healings and tongues and miracles and um, different things. And then it goes into apostles and prophets and teachers. And we have a similar list in Ephesians 4, where the Bible says that uh, Jesus, when he ascended, that he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So the, the church of the early centuries was a church that was supernaturally equipped. Uh, they didn't just have mental and intellectual arguments, uh, but you read through the book of Acts, and so many times God demonstrated his mercy and his compassion with supernatural gifts and supernatural demonstrations that arrested the attention of the people and uh, caused them to really look at the message. Um, it was never the intention of God that people get obsessed with the signs and wonders. Uh, we want to be focused on Jesus himself. Uh, we want to be focused on the message of the gospel. That's what we want our focus uh, to really be on. But the signs uh, these uh, sometimes extraordinary things uh, are given by God to, you know, kind of inter interrupt our lives, so to speak, and to get us to think. What happened in my life was with the healing and then the Holy Spirit coming into my life and releasing a prayer language in my life. It was a supernatural intervention that allowed me to more fully taste and see that the Lord is good. So here's the big question that we have to be looking at. Were these things just for the, the launch of the church? Were these things just for the, um, the early church? And what I want to do when just we have a few minutes here and then we'll do another session later. But I want to take you through some church history and, and basically just share with you how that the Holy Spirit for the last 2,000 years uh, has always been showing up and imparting his blessing, his presence, and things like that. Now, one thing that I understand is that human beings, uh, we don't always stay on track very good. Sometimes um, God does something really special in our life, but we, we don't follow through. We 
we tend to fail to appreciate it. We may even um, kind of prefer to do things our way. The Bible says that we are to covet earnestly the best gifts. And one of the best things I know that can enhance and enrich a person's relationship with God is when we say, God, I want everything you have to offer me. I want all of your presence. I want all of your blessing. And it's not that we're being stingy or greedy, but the Bible says we are to covet the best that God has to give us. And so, you know, the Bible says that God uh, resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so I think one of the worst things I can do is say, God, you know, I'm good the way I've got things. You know, I've got my devotional life. I go to church once a week. I, I, I've got this. I can handle this. Because when we tell God we don't need any more of him, the Bible says that God resists the proud. And one of the things we need to understand is that God is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in to people's lives and force them to experience blessings, uh, even if he has those blessings for them. Uh, God wants us to hunger and thirst. God wants us to ask for these things. You know, Jesus even told one church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't say, I'm going to blow your door down. I'm going to, you know, smash it down and come in whether you want me to or not. And so um, I wanna, what I want to do is I want to take you through a couple thousand years of church history. I, I trust that we'll keep this very enjoyable and, and uh, uh, we're really going to introduce you to ancestors that you did not know you had, spiritual ancestors. Um, you know, we're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the family of God and, and believers who have gone before us and other generations, they're our family. They may be in heaven now, but they were here on earth and they did things and wrote things and experienced things. And so I want to introduce you to a whole bunch of your spiritual ancestors and what happened after, because one of the things that's often said is, well, the gifts of the Spirit were here, the miracles and the healings, until the last apostle died. And when the last apostle died, then all these spectacular or all these extraordinary gifts of the Spirit were withdrawn. So God kept teachers and pastors, but he pulled out apostles and prophets and, and um, teaching and helps and all that. They're still good, but uh, miracles and healings, you know, God pulled those out. And uh, I, I want to look through church history with you. And let me just share real quick before we start getting into these different individuals through church history. I'll be honest with you, I was never really, really interested in church history um, because in the early years of my ministry, I've been in ministry for uh, 41 years now. Um, in the early years of my ministry, like so many people, I think, I just, I want to see what God is doing now. You know, what, what, you know, I don't care what happened, you know, hundreds of years ago. That's all history. It's gone you know, probably boring, and I want to know what God's doing right now. But uh, years ago, uh, I was preaching, teaching at a missions conference in Istanbul, Turkey, and I didn't even realize how loaded the nation of Turkey was with biblical sites, even many New Testament sites. And um, so we did this missions conference and we had an extra day and one of the missionaries said, why don't we go down to Ephesus? And that sounded so strange to me. Go down to Ephesus? What? You, you mean like Ephesus in the Bible? And, and uh, they said, yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I went down with these missionaries and these ministers and spent a full day in the ruins, among the ruins of ancient Ephesus. And it was just amazing to see 
you know, the places and the streets where Paul had walked and the theater where they had that big riot in Acts chapter 19. And uh, it just, I said, God, if I can ever bring pastors here, I want to do that. And since that time, Lisa and I have been able to lead like six tours to the biblical sites um, in Greece and Turkey and I've been to all the sites of all seven churches of the book of Revelation, Ephesus and uh, Pergamum, Sardis, Pergamum, Smyrna, Thyatira, uh, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I don't know if I got them all or not, but and and also in Turkey, I've been to uh, Colossae and Hierapolis and Miletus and over into Greece, the island of Patmos and uh, Philippi and Athens and Thessalonica, Berea. Uh, I've been on the island of Cyprus and Crete and Malta and Rome and Egypt and Lebanon and all these different places. And I, when I started visiting all these places, some I've just toured as a tourist, several of them I've preached in, I just started getting into history and started loving history. And then uh, other places, I've been to all the places where Martin Luther was in Germany and John Calvin um, in uh, Switzerland, Geneva, uh, Zwingli in Zurich, um, the places where Martin uh, John Wesley lived and preached in England and things like that. And a few years ago, I told my wife, I said, honey, I'm just so thrilled with church history now and studying what these great men and women of God did. And and I went and got a master's degree in church history and um, spent a couple years, you know, two and a half years studying 30 hours a week. And as I studied church history, one of the things I learned was the Holy Spirit never quit moving. And there would always be groups that would you know, kind of dry up and just totally get ritualistic and only intellectual. But but there were also groups that would be hungry for the touch of God, the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, with that in mind, I just want to take you uh, through some of the people that, you know, after the apostles, you know, uh, the book of Acts takes us to around, what, in the mid-60s, I think, you know, when Paul is under house arrest um, in Rome, and uh, and that's when the book of Acts ends. So what happened after that? Well, we go to the book of Revelation. It was written toward the end of the first century. John was the last of the apostles. Uh, you know, he's the only one that that died a natural death. All the other, you know, major early church leaders died as martyrs for their faith. Uh, but John wrote the book of Revelation, and he died right toward the end of the first century. So, but what happened in the second century, the third century, the fourth century? And that's what we want to we want to touch on, and we want to introduce you to um, John. Uh, one of his disciples uh, was named Ignatius of Antioch. You know, John spent his latter years based in Ephesus, and uh, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. It's on the western coast of modern-day Turkey, kind of right on the Aegean or the Mediterranean Sea. And one of his disciples, John's disciples, was a, a, a bishop or a pastor, we probably call him today, named Ignatius. And he was uh, in the city of Antioch. And uh, Ignatius wrote a letter to another one of John's disciples. And this is probably a good 20 years after John had died. And Ignatius, one of John's disciples, writes a letter to Polycarp of Smyrna. That's one of the letters or one of the uh, churches of the book of Revelation. And in this letter to Polycarp, uh, Ignatius makes an interesting statement to him. He tells Polycarp to linger constantly in prayer. He says, seek a greater understanding than what you have. See, this to me indicates spiritual hunger. And I pray that 
you know, I'm 62 years old today, but I don't ever want to lose my hunger for the things of God. I don't want to think, God, I've arrived. I know all there is to know. I have all the wisdom. I have all the power I need. You know, I, I believe that, no, that that God can always give us greater spiritual enrichment. Um, I don't think we should ever stop growing or ever stop hungering for the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit and whatever gifts he may want to give us. So Ignatius writes Polycarp, this other bishop, and he tells him to linger constantly in prayer. Seek a greater understanding than what you have. Ask for invisible things. I love that. Ask for invisible things that they may be made manifest to you and that you may lack nothing and abound with all spiritual gifts. I think that's pretty amazing because if the gifts of the Spirit had been withdrawn when John died, which there's no biblical basis and there's certainly no historical basis to think that just because the last apostle, you know, of the original band, that the last apostle died, so the Holy Spirit's going to pull half of his gifts away from the church. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need supernatural power just as much as we've ever needed it. And, and uh, Ignatius tells him to ask for invisible things. Well, what are invisible things? They are the things of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with asking for visible things, material things. Um, but, you know, we need to seek first the kingdom of God and uh, that type of thing. Now, so that was um, Ignatius of Antioch. He died around 117. And then Polycarp, the one we just mentioned, who was the pastor of Smyrna, uh, which is about 30 miles north of Ephesus. So these guys, John knew these guys personally. They would have been people that John probably put it, laid hands on them and installed them into their churches. Uh, Polycarp had a disciple uh, named Irenaeus, Irenaeus. And um, in, in France, uh, of course, the, the Roman Empire was all around the Mediterranean Sea. And these churches would communicate with one another, and they had a vacancy. Uh, apparently, the pastor in France, a city called Lyon, had passed away, and uh, they sent word to, you know, probably sent word around to the different churches. If you know somebody that can come and be a pastor here, um, you know, we could use a new pastor. Well, Polycarp, John's disciple, had a young man that he thought would be perfect for that church. So he sends him west across the Mediterranean to Lyon, France, and that individual's name was Irenaeus. Irenaeus. And Irenaeus was born in 125 and died in 202. But we're looking at, did the gifts of the Spirit stop when John died? And here's what Irenaeus wrote. His disciples, meaning Jesus' disciples, receiving grace from him, perform miracles in his name to promote the welfare of others according to the gift that each one has received from God. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. Foreknowledge of things to come. We're beginning to get into that kind of prophetic gift there. Uh, they see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Irenaeus said, others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them and they are made whole. Moreover, even as I have said, the dead have been raised up and remained among us for many years. They had people raised from the dead. 
He said it is not possible to name the number of gifts that the church scattered throughout the whole world has received from God. And Irenaeus goes on to say, we also hear of many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. They bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. Now, Irenaeus of Lyon died right at the beginning of the third century. They believe he died around the year 202. So that is a little more than a hundred years after the Apostle John died. And you can tell from uh, these writings of Irenaeus that they had pretty much all the gifts of the Spirit still in operation at that point healings and prophecies and miracles and tongues and different things, um, you know, people having foreknowledge of things. But I want to notice, I want to draw our attention to one thing in particular. It said, uh, we also hear of many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. Let me just say this about tongues, and then we'll take a break and come back for another session. But when Irenaeus says that that these people speak all kinds of languages by the Spirit, meaning it's not languages that people have heard, when you study the Bible, there are basically, and a lot of people don't delineate this, but there are three different types of tongues that are really referred to in the Bible. And, and we should notice that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul refers to diverse kinds of tongues, meaning not all tongues are the same. The first type of tongues that we see in Scripture is in Acts chapter 2 on the very day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church on the day of Pentecost. And and we read about how that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But what happens if you read later, you find out that there were people from all over the Roman Empire who were visiting in Jerusalem and people who lived in Jerusalem but who were from these other parts of the world. And there's uh, and, and, and what these people said, we're hearing them. We know these guys are just Galileans, which is kind of an insulting term. They were not considered to be the intellectual elites of, of the Jewish race. They were considered to be kind of the backwoods type people. Um, but they said, we're hearing them speak, you know, speak of the glory of God in our own languages. So there was a miraculous supernatural thing where people uh, through this, this kind of speaking in the tongues were actually hearing God being praised in their own languages and it was people from all over, multiple language groups. So that's one type of thing and we have, there are records of that in early church history in particular and I've heard some more modern examples of that where somebody will go and there's no interpreter and through the working of the Spirit, you know, this type of thing happens. But there's another type of tongues that Paul addresses in Acts, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, where it's within a church service where there's a tongue and interpretation that is equivalent to prophecy. And that is for the edification of the believers that are gathered there. It's not really for proclamation to a people who speak a different language. That's a different kind of tongue. But there's a third type of tongues mentioned as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that is a type of tongues that is for people's personal edification. Sometimes it's called a personal prayer language. So it's time to break this session, and um, I so appreciate you, and I hope you're enjoying this. When we come back together, we're going to pick up and just talk about a lot of the great, amazing, wonderful things that God has done through history all the way through today. God bless you. Have a great day.
Praise the Lord. Wasn't that really rich, powerful? Can I just pray, Father, um, as, as a church, Lord, I just pray for each person sitting here. I pray for our online audience that there would be a hunger for supernatural. Father, that we do not chase after signs, but signs follow us. We chase after Jesus. We seek first the kingdom. But Father, we, we deeply desire your supernatural presence, Father. Father, I pray if anyone's with us today, if they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we all believers have the Spirit within as we heard. But Father, that when the Spirit comes upon, that's the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in a personal prayer language as we heard, Father. I pray if there's anyone here today that that that, uh, that today can be the day that they receive the Holy Spirit upon them and speak in other tongues and have that, Father. I just pray that uh, that that people would, if you're here, that you would respond to that even online, that you would take advantage of that. So thank you, Lord, for just uh, talking to people about that right now. And, and Father, we thank you so much. So here's what we're going to do. I prayed that prayer. Um, we're, there's going to be two things that happen right now. We're going to open up our giving stations. If On the way out of church today, if you would like to give an offering to Tony Cook, you're so welcome to do that and sow finances into his ministry. But I'd like to open up our altars today. And I'd like to invite you, if, you're, if you haven't yet had the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I can just say the same thing that Tony Cook. I was saved a few months without it. And what, when, when I received it, what a difference that makes. And my desire as a pastor that everyone here has that. So we're going to have some people up here. We, we have people that are trained to help you receive. Um, and I encourage you, if you come up, just to be really relaxed. I was a little bit tense when I went to receive, and, and it's hard to receive when you're all scared and tense. But I just, like, put my walls down, and I relaxed. And uh, it, it really made a difference for receiving. So we'd like to work with you. So uh, our worship team's going to do just some ministry here. And there's two things that are open, our altar and our giving stations. Uh, you guys are welcome to stay for the next session. And of course, it'll be up online. Uh, you can all stand and bless you guys. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.